Uh, please open to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm uh, 23, chapter 23, is going to be where we are camping out. All right? If you have been with us, uh, we've been doing this summer series. It's titled, Happy Home, everybody. Happy Home. All right? And what we're doing is we're walking through the 23rd Psalm. And uh, basically what we're doing is we're walking through it and we're trying to soak in what it really means to have God as our shepherd. If we are his sheep, I want to know what it means to have God as my shepherd. The shepherd over our families. The shepherd over our lives. Leading us. Taking care, taking care of us. Protecting us. So it's been a blessing so far. And what I want to do today is just continue this feast on God's word today uh, together. So, so let's just pray together before we uh, get to it. Heavenly Father, we, we worship you right now. Because you're so good. You're so good for sending your son Jesus to come to us. When we had no chance of getting close to you on our own, you came to us in our Lord Jesus. And he died on the cross. And we've been granted permission to come into your, your banquet hall and feast with you. Lord, this is good news, and I thank you for it. Lord, I want to eat the bread of life. I want to drink the cup of salvation today with my friends. I love you. I pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. I want to start by uh, stating something that uh, if you're in this room and you are breathing, I think that uh, you can relate to it. So... I'm going to say this. Life is tough. Life is really tough. It is just hard. In, in our lives, we feel pain. We feel loss of friends, of family, of things. We battle anxiety, we battle depression, uh, fear of uh, being a failure. Maybe that's what you battle with. Maybe you battle with fear of not adding up to what society asks from you, or maybe like what your family asks from you. Maybe you deal with uh, problems in your family that result from money, like finances. That's tough too. Those are hard situations to be in. Or maybe we're stressing just day in and day out. And how the heck am I going to make it to all of these sporting events for my kids and still have a thriving relationship with Jesus? I just don't know. It's tough. Sometimes it doesn't just feel like we're juggling in life. It feels like we're juggling bowling balls in a hurricane on a unicycle on like this teeny tiny tightrope that looks like it just goes on forever. <laughs> right? Can y'all relate? There are challenges in this life and darkness that creeps up on us. And it is to this psalm that we ought to look. In those times of desperation, Psalm 23 is a psalm of hope. It's a psalm of redemption and it's a psalm of truth over your life. It's awesome. Stare at it. <laughs> 
Live in it. Feast on it. And I just want to read it right now. The whole thing, uh, the whole psalm that we've been walking through. Let's just kind of slowly and intently read this truth together. It reads this. The Lord is my... You guys can read with me if you want. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Isn't that refreshing? Isn't that good? This past week or so, two of my friends passed away. One of those friends is a family friend I grew up with in my whole life, and he passed away here in Gunnison. The other um, is a mentor of mine uh, from college at Colorado Christian. Um, He's an outdoor leadership professor. I went on a lot of, um, like, backpacking trips and stuff with him, so we got to know each other really well. My friends, it's by no coincidence that this is the psalm that I've been staring at for the past two weeks. In preparing for this message. When these things were happening, when these terrible things happen, it is by no coincidence that I've been reading, He restores my soul. He is with me. No coincidence. His truth is good and he is close. And it's also by no coincidence that this psalm is what we're staring at today for you. Where are you at? What are you struggling with? What's going on with you? What do you need restoration from? I want to seek that together as a church right now. As a fellowship shall we? The text uh, that we're going to kind of be zooming in on is going to be verse 5, and I just want to repeat it again. I know we just read it, but we can miss out on a lot of insight on Scripture by only reading it once. So let's just uh, read it again. I'll read it for you. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. So there's three things, three proclamations uh, that David writes here. You prepare my table before the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. Three things. And so as he structures uh, this in three statements, I want to also just kind of break down uh, this sermon this morning uh, into three different parts. As simple as it is. Uh, the, the majority of what we'll be looking at today, as we're going to see, 
is largely based on the context of a feast. Of the dinner table. All three parts of uh, what we're going to be looking at has something to do with the dinner table. So let's dive into the first one. So the first one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I say the word feast, I can assume that one of the first things that come to your mind is like Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, like a holiday where we just have a bunch of food. The bountiful feast that we've had on Thanksgiving. I know y'all eat way too much on Thanksgiving. Okay, I, I know I'm not the only person that needs a defibrillator every time I eat, okay? <laughs> it's bad. It is incredibly um, biblical to feast. That's just the truth. More specifically, it is incredibly biblical to feast with each other. See, the Bible's packed with how good food is and the holiness of feasting. Uh, and God, in his grace, he made creation edible. He, he, he made something that we can eat and enjoy. When you eat, do you just say, thank you, God, for giving this to me to enjoy, to live. It's crazy. But here's the deal. Eating an unhealthy amount of food all the time is not what I'm saying brings God glory. That's, that's, that's not, not good. Feasting is not about the food itself. It's about the heart of the feaster. The one that's feasting. There's nothing really particularly Christian about eating or drinking. Like, you just got to do it to live. Got to eat food. Got to, you know, be hydrated. And in the, in the Old Testament, we see that there's this... Uh, this structure that God laid out for the Jewish calendar, for their seasons, for their, um, their festivals, for their um, activities. And there's two different activities that have something to do with all of them. One or the other, it's fasting or feasting. It's important stuff. Celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness with food. You just got to love some good food sometimes. I'm, I work uh, at the Old Miner Steakhouse. I'm around good food all the time. And it's crazy. There are eternal things that happen when we fellowship over a shared meal. And as a Christian, we feast, we eat, we join together because of what happened in the past. Because of what Jesus has done and we also feast because of what we believe will happen as well in the future. Okay? So check this out. From the words of the prophet Isaiah, it says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. That he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. 
Why do we feast, church? Because Jesus is victorious. That's why we do it. Jesus is the one that swallows up death forever. Jesus is the one that wipes away all tears from our faces. And he did it on the cross at Calvary. And the truth is, when we celebrate meals here, when we make things uh, like even the biggest Thanksgiving feast, that looks like a McDonald's kid's meal compared to the feast that God has in store for us in eternity in heaven. It does. A feast of the bread of life. A feast with the cup of salvation. That's so nourishing to our souls. See, we as a church bring people into our lives to seek God together. Food's not the only way. It's an excellent way. When college is in session, we have college lunch every single week. So we want to eat together. We want to get to know each other. I feel bad I'm talking about food so much and we don't have anything for you today. Sorry. <laughs> so what does this look like for our families? For, for our lives? Well, it ought to look like you as a family are on mission. On mission to invite people into the kingdom. And invite people into your homes. But it also looks like you being invited into the kingdom. Let's flip to Luke 14. It says that Jesus is at a banquet. And uh, one of the people sitting around him, uh, he's, he's hanging out with a bunch of Pharisees. Jesus liked to do that because he shows them up all the time. And so the Pharisees, they're always trying to poke, um, you know, Jesus' truths a little bit. They're trying to feel him out. They want to corner him in a way that makes him not God. That's that kind of their goal. So they, uh, one of them says this, uh, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's true. But you can almost hear like a bit of sarcasm in the Pharisee's voice. And so Jesus responds. He takes the opportunity to tell a parable. And we've gone over this uh, parable before, but it's so excellent uh, in explaining God's banquet. And uh, God, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to tell you about God's invitation to the kingdom. Let's, uh, let's work through this real quick. And he says this, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent out his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have, have me excused. And, and then another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused as well. And then another one of the people invited said, I have married a wife and therefore I, I cannot come today. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house began, uh, became angry and said to his servant, Okay, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, after he'd done this, Sir, what, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. 
And the master said to the servant, okay, go out to the highways now and into the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first excuse is, uh, I've just bought a field and I have to go see it. Can you imagine somebody buying a field without first seeing it? And even if they hadn't seen it or had already seen it, do you think that field will be there tomorrow? Crazy. See, he, um, he had no desire to go to the banquet at all, this guy. And I see this guy uh, as the excuse of having things. He's got possessions that he's got to deal with. Things that prevent him from being a disciple that's all in. And for us, maybe our things can be like a hobby, like video games, sports, your phone, maybe your social media presence or something. I don't know. These things aren't bad by any means, really. Our twisted hearts make them bad, but I mean, I'll play video games if it means I get to hang out with somebody. (laughs) It's not terrible things. But these things can keep us, they can keep our families from being serious with God. From being all in with Jesus. And then the second excuse that we see here uh, is the excuse of my profession. He says, um, I, I, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I, I'm on my way to try them out. I, I can't come. Excuse me. So this man is a man of agriculture, right? He's saying, business is booming. I've got a bunch of things going on. Um, I I can't be bothered right now. I I don't have time for church. I don't have time for Jesus. Um, I'm not a farmer uh, by any means, as you can tell. Okay. Um, But I can just assume that trying out uh, the oxen on that specific day, as opposed to like the next day, you would probably yield the same results. I drive by cows every single day and it looks like they haven't moved from the last day. (laughs) That's just my assumption. And so the people in this parable are making excuses. The third excuse is family. This guy says, I just got married to my wife and I can't come. Sorry. In the larger scheme of things, um, it may not just be that. It could be maybe growing up, my, my family didn't, didn't really have a faith tradition. So why would I complicate things now in trying to follow Jesus? Why would I try to risk our relationship by following Jesus? Or maybe it can look like I just, I just had another child. I am so burnt out. I cannot go to church. I cannot read my Bible. I don't have time. That's a hard place to be in. 
And God loves you when you're in that place. And he's with you that whole time. That's the thing. The people in this parable are not hungry for what the host was offering. They were hungry for their own comfort. They were hungry for their own satisfaction with the world around them. That's what they were hungry for. So right now we're no longer really talking about food. We're talking about our cravings for the things of this world. Our satisfaction in the things of this world. Are you and your family making excuses to miss out on God's invitation to eternal life? That's the question he's asking. Are you and your family making excuses to have eternal satisfaction? To not have eternal satisfaction in Jesus Maybe you've taken a new job that takes too much of your time. It requires a bunch of your time. Is that your excuse? Maybe you're just overwhelmed by the things of your life and you just can't deal with God right now. Is that your excuse? What excuses are we making to not be all in with Jesus in his kingdom? That's the question he's asking me. In his church. My excuse. A lot of the times is this. And I say it way too many times. I just say. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Quincy. I'm just tired dad. That's. I can easily become apathetic. And not want to leave. My bedroom in the morning. That's how bad it can get for me. And I'm just being honest with you. Some days, it's really hard for me to just go to work. But listen, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. When I feel that way, it is because I am not living in the joy of the Lord. That's just the truth of it. Why would I not have joy and hope in the Lord? ridiculous that I would feel that way. Guys, if you feel that, like you don't know what it means or feels like to have joy in the Lord anymore, I want to just ask you to repent. That's all. That's all we have to do to turn from our apathy and return to Jesus. The one that gives us so much hope. That gives us so much joy in the times when we don't feel like we have it. My friends, I have to do this all the time. I have to repent of this all the time. Because he doesn't just sprinkle me with his love. He doesn't just sprinkle us with his love. He just straight up dunks us in it. So that we can have joy in him. Wake up to that truth every morning. See how your day goes. Listen, Jesus, he delights in being the part of your job that takes a lot of your time. He loves it. If you got a job where you have to work hard, then work hard. Do it for the glory of God. 
And he would love to be the reason why you work and what you talk about at work. Listen, Jesus delights in taking the overwhelming things in this world and putting them on himself. My friends, there is no excuse. There there is no reason in this entire world that is more important than accepting Christ's invitation into his kingdom. Nothing. No reason. And so in the midst of our messy lives, in the midst of times where it feels like enemies are all around us, God prepares a table for us, it says. And it's a massive table. The food is delightful. The drink is refreshing. Guys, the host is so incredibly hospitable. It's insane. And God simply invites us to join. And so once we've accepted his invitation and we walk into his banquet hall, uh, the next thing that happens, as described by the next uh, part of the verse, it says, he anoints my head with oil. And with oil, there's many references uh, to being anointed in Scripture. King David, uh, who wrote this psalm, was anointed by God as king over Israel. Our Lord Jesus was referred to as the anointed one. But in this case, we see David talking still. He's within a dinner context. See, in these ancient times, anointing a guest in your house with oil was a mark of so much respect, of so much honor for your guest. And a lot of the times, your guests would be, uh, they'd have to walk across crazy terrains through the desert from far distances. And we also read in scripture that when they arrive, you, you greet them with a kiss, you wash their feet. There's a story about Jesus and washing feet. I'd encourage you to look at it. But then there's this, anoint your guest with oil. With the finest oils and fragrances that the host has to offer. Okay? I think that some of y'all have got this down. Okay? Like, some of you have essential oils for absolutely everything. I am not kidding. When I go over to people's houses that I know have uh, essential oil collections, I I know not to mention anything about a headache, a backache, (laughs) or any stress in my life. Listen, if I did, they would literally attack me with some pan away or some sort of oil that they're going to put on my head. And after they put it on my head, they try to sell me this stuff. (laughs) What's up with that? It's insane. If you join my Young Living program, we can both join in getting a free bottle of complimentary thieves oil. Anybody know someone like this? Are you yourself this person? That's the question. I don't buy it. Okay, I digress. Let's, let's get back to the passage. Um, so we see that there is a twofold meeting when David writes about being anointed with oil. It doesn't just mean when you're arriving at a person's house and they anoint you with oil as a guest. Um, where the heck am I? <laughs> All right. So it doesn't just, it has a twofold meaning. Um, we see that there's a table setting. 
right? I just said that. <laughs> and uh, I, there's also this context um, that you've probably heard it before uh, of a sheep and a shepherd. And that's the context of this psalm. He's still talking about a sheep and his sh- uh, shepherd and his sheep. We read that the shepherd anoints the sheep with oil. And there ought to be some sort of significance to this. And I want to look at it. So the oil and ointment uh, were the shepherd's way of healing the wounds of his people. At certain times of the year, uh, the shepherd's flock, uh, they would encounter these huge clouds of flies, these huge clouds of mosquitoes and other insects and uh, contact uh, with these bugs was just unavoidable. It really was. And in addition to that, the sheep could also be afflicted by lice or ticks. These insects would most likely attack the heads of the sheep, digging into their ears and their noses. And the results could range from irritation to to disease, could even lead to death. And so to protect the sheep, the shepherd would make a mixture of oil, and anoint the head of the sheep. Rubbing the oil uh, into its wool. And especially around its nose. Its ears. Around its eyes. And here's the thing about flies and mosquitoes. They are small. And they are so annoying. Okay. Amen. They fly around your head. And you can't seem to get rid of them. That's just the truth. But in our lives. When it comes to danger, we are very easily able to avoid, like, the wolves, the big dangers. We can see them. We know we shouldn't go close to them. We know we shouldn't kill anybody, right? That's a big thing. And yet we fall over and over again to these small and annoying things of life that irritate us. That frustrate us. And that slowly start to infect us. Listen. A single disease stricken parasite. Can do far more damage to a pack of. Or a group of sheep. Than a pack of wolves can. These what seem like. Small issues give birth to grudges. To fights and troubles within our church, within our families. Like sheep irritated and infected by tiny bugs. These little things are why so many Christians are irritated, unhappy, and pointing fingers at each other. It's these small things that can infect us and tear us apart. Do we want to be a church that wants to live protected by God completely Or do we want to wipe off his oil and try to avoid the flies on our own? Avoid the wolves on our own? And the thing is, he doesn't just apply oil to the most valuable of the flock. Or the ones that are closest to him, the most obedient. No, he he applies it to all of the sheep that he calls his. The ones that are his. Did you know that God is your protector? He protects his flock. 
Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is worthy of our trust. There is no problem, whether emotional, physical, or spiritual, that is too big for our God. There's not. If we will learn to take refuge in Him and lean in on Him alone for our strength, then we can face the most extreme situations with quiet confidence. Knowing that God is with us and that He is for us. He is sufficient. And so if we recap this second part of this uh, passage, it's that when he anoints our head with oil, it means that we're chosen. That we are honored in his house, at his feast. Then it also means that he protects us and heals us. The third statement in the passage that we're going to kind of wrap things up with is my cup, it overflows. My cup overflows. Man, there's no other interpretation of this passage other than that God fills us with more than we need of himself. My cup overflows. So much, when he pours into us, it is so fierce. It is so abundant. His love is so amazing that when it goes into our cups, it should look like explosion of praise, like a volcano after it hits your cup. It's not only full, but it is rushing out because God is so good in your life. You want to bless the people around you. You want to speak life into them. You want to share the gospel with them. Because listen, our cups are not the point. We're not the point. It's what goes into it. And it's effectiveness in how it pours into others. I have a cup here. Um, it's called a Kiddush. And it's a sort of uh, cup and a saucer. That was used in Jewish uh, observance of the, the Sabbath. Okay? And they would fill their cup with wine all the way to the point of overflowing. And they would do this in remembrance of the abundance blessings that God gives us. That we're completely full of His grace and His mercy. And so the material that goes into it, we see that as Jesus. We see that as God's love, his grace, his favor, more than you need for yourself. So let's enjoy our full cups in him. But when it overflows, don't let it fall on the floor. Catch it with your cup. Pour it in somebody else's. Many people base their lives on being a glass of that's half full or half empty, however those sayings go. But God turns that on its head and, and he says, my people, they are a glass running over sort of people. Okay? 
Not half full, not half empty. We're running over. We need to be a glass running over sort of people that say we have more than enough in Christ. Come and get some. Come on. We ought to be families that pour God's love and grace into our kids, into each other. And I think a lot of Christians don't feel this reality all the time. We live in an environment, in a society that fears scarcity. In other words, our lives, our emotions, our pursuits, and our success are largely shaped by this question. And you can fill in the blank. Will I have enough of what I need to blank? Will I have enough? Will I have what it takes to do this? Am I going to fall short? Do you fear not having enough money? That's a big one. Are you afraid of not having enough friends? Maybe you're anxious on whether God's going to lead you to the right man or woman to marry. These fears of scarcity, of what if I don't have what I need, they can become obsessive and steal and rob the joy, peace, and faith that God intended you to have in your life. The image of my cup running over points to the sufficiency of God. And our reliance on his provisions for our lives. God has formed the universe in such a way that magnifies uh, the glory of his all sufficiency. My friends, he is sufficient. He says it to us and it is true. We need not to look anywhere else in creation or any other person. He is sufficient. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever serves, let him do as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gets the glory because he gives us the grace. It's not the other way around. We can't do anything. We can't give grace It is all by him. There's a phrase uh, that's coined by John Piper. Uh, It says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He's most glorified in us when we're so satisfied and saturated in him. I'm going to wrap things up uh, the same way that I started. Just saying that life's incredibly difficult. There's no doubting that. We are faced with sometimes just awful situations. And some of us are very familiar with the reality of suffering. But here's the thing. God's redemptive plan, how he makes things right for our Christian suffering begins with this. More contentment in God and less reliance on self and the world. Let me say that again. It starts with this. More contentment in God, 
and less reliance on on ourselves and the world. When we suffer, the world does not bring us true comfort. I'm sure you've tried. I've tried. It doesn't bring true comfort. When we desire intimacy, the world does not give us true satisfaction. It doesn't. See, our contentment in God is what brings us comfort. It's what brings us satisfaction. And God works in us in crazy ways when we're in the midst of those things. So I've never heard anybody say, oh, the greatest lessons that I've ever learned um, came with so much comfort and so much ease. No, it's usually this. I learned to know God the greatest when I was the weakest. Isn't that true? James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord had promised to those who love him. The deep things of life in God are discovered and they're magnified through our suffering when things are tough. When we look to God, we just have to ask him, fill my cup. I I can't do it. My faucet's broke. I need your waterfall of grace. And some of us are familiar with the bitter taste of trials when things get tough. And you know what I'm talking about. My friend, taste what he pours into your cup. It is refreshing. And there's so much of it to spare. Eat what he has prepared for you at his table. It is so satisfying. It is so good. And then rest in the seat that he has chosen for you. For it is good because he is so close. Let's pray. God, right now... I just want to pause. Lord, stop us where we are so that we can see who you are. Your love is so good. Your will for our lives is so right. And Lord, if any of us have ever lost your joy or lost our awe and wonder of you, Lord. I pray that we repent and come back and see how great you are, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those of us that may not know how good your banquet is. We've never tasted your cup of salvation. We've never 
Never really desired to. Lord, I pray that those people that have never desired to follow you, never desired to even think about eating what you have to offer, Lord, I just pray that they come and take your invitation. Accept your invitation to come into your table, to be alongside believers and be alongside the ones that you want to redeem and make whole and make right in this world. Lord, I also want to pray for those of us that really have lost the the flavor of your feast. We've lost the saltiness of your food. Lord, bring back to life our desire to pursue you. Bring back to life our willingness to read your word. God, we love you. We want to worship you right now with everything that we are. Just be in awe of your presence, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.